The couples in this series are not ongoing clients of Dr. Finlayson Fife. To ensure their anonymity, their names and identifying features have been changed, but their stories and their voices are real. Welcome to Room for Two, Couples Coaching with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Welcome, Andy and April, to Room for Two. Thank you. Good to be here. How can I be helpful to you? I'll just go over some background information. I grew up a really good Mormon girl until I met Andy in college, and we dated, and over time, we had sex and lots of it. We had disciplinary counsels from church and eventually got married. And I think once I got married and from the disciplinary counsels, I just felt so much shame, and I wanted to go back to kind of who I was before we got into all this trouble. And so I really started repressing my sexuality. And then Mm. as I became a mom, I think that just further, I shoved that down and just really focused on being the best mom that I could be. We did have sex. It wasn't as much as Andy would want. And I knew that, Mm. but I felt like the church kind of had my back as I was just trying to be a really good Mormon girl. I started researching healthy sexuality information for my kids, actually, and it ended up really helping me. And I was starting to come out of my shell. I was making progress. But unfortunately, I don't feel like it was maybe fast enough. Because a few months ago, I discovered some infidelity with Andy on the phone with another woman, which just led to all sorts of confessions about pornography over 20 years of our marriage, some dabbling and sexting and just some other things. So it my world just kind Mm. of came crashing down. Mm -hmm. And how many months ago was that, April? How long have you been? It was about five or six months ago. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So if I were to be perfectly helpful to you, April, what would I help you with? Like, what do you think you're needing? Um, I just am having like waves of emotion where sometimes because we are sharing so much and he's being a lot more honest than he ever has before. Like sometimes I feel really connected to him and I do have so much sympathy from his perspective. And then other times I just feel like I cannot believe you cross that line. Like the pornography I can get over sexting and like random people from who knows where, but like just the conversation and meeting up with like a woman down the street. Sometimes I just get blocked and I don't know if I'm trying to be one up or if it just is justified for me to have those feelings. And so just the cycle of my emotions kind of being fine and not fine is really hard for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think probably pretty normal this fresh into the revelation of you know, it's just kind of going between for a lot of people, I want to be close to you and get away from me. And it can kind of vacillate given the dysregulation and the disruption to your sense of who you are, who Andy is, who you are as a couple. And so just parsing through that is not easy work, but important work nonetheless. So I'll come back to you, obviously, April, but Andy, why don't you just give me what you think would be important for me to understand and also the question of if I were perfectly helpful, what I would help you with. Yeah. So April did a great job of kind of telling us where we come from. For me, I think it goes even further back to when I was even a child, I mean, or a young adolescent with pornography use and 
the messaging that I received around it and how I kind of had to hit it to survive in that world. The messaging I got that it would pass and once I was married, it would probably go away. And then, it, and then when it didn't, mm. I made some terrible choices and really opted with or you know withholding information and accommodating her you know at all costs mm. that was my path of being a really good nice guy or good guy to mm. one be a good mormon kid or man and also to be a good husband and, and selfless and self-sacrificing as much as i could but it did it led to resentment and entitlement you know there were times where i felt like she had to know that she's pushing me into these things and this is mostly just pornography for mm. my whole life until i met a woman and you know and i became accustomed to withholding information and living my life that way for 20 years i kept feeling like one day i'll beat it and then i'll be able to tell her and come clean hey look i've struggled with this but i've now passed it i've now overcome it yeah it's not a problem anymore and so what can help most is you know is, is me understanding you know my sexuality well, we've come a long way so i realized that although i felt like a victim and i felt resentment i realized that she was also a victim of kind of what we had been taught yeah. And we have had a phase transition where mm-hmm. we realized that I resent that more than I resent her nowadays. I feel like, you know, it wasn't her that was doing it to me. It was the culture mm-hmm. that I was trying to put my square peg into the round hole. And I was trying to be something that I couldn't or wasn't. Uh, mm-hmm. And I didn't even try to deal with things as a team with her. I never brought her on board with what I struggled with and what I had problems with. Unless, except for the times where she'd find access to pornography or something like that and i would explain it away and, and i'd lie and i'd get mm. through it and then i, I wouldn't trust her with who mm-hmm. i really am and my faith transition has really helped us a lot as far as me being able to tell her how i who i really am how i really feel and what, mm-hmm. what motivates me what upsets me my whole world revolved around her and making her happy and right. not really being myself right I'll go ahead and ask this question, but I think you're starting to articulate it right there. When you're saying the faith transition has actually really helped me be more honest, can you say more about how you make sense of that or or what that means to you? Uh, Yeah. I mean, so before when my honest position, if brought up in an argument or in a debate, would lose when brought under the scope of the church's doctrines. Mm. Not that I have this awful mindset, but that, you know, my desire for a faith or more intimacy or more sex or more anything wasn't backed up by being sacrificial and trying to, you know, be noble and, and you know, mm. a clean mind and all that stuff like, like these dirty or carnal thoughts. Like, like I beat myself up for being carnal all the time. And, mm. and one time I went and saw a doctor and asked, is there anything I can do to get my Mm, libido change my drive like I'm yeah medication i can take to right yeah i think what i'm hearing in that is what's been shifting for you andy is a shift away from validation towards more honesty and when you felt like in the way you were living in your faith was you know i have to conform to what's expected and what's expected is to be less sexual or to not have these desires so it meant that you went into kind of repressing and indulging or hiding and then still having, you know, that sexuality show up, but then trying harder to hide it or control it. And so there was a division within you out of your attempt to outwardly comply, be what the church thought you should be, be what April thought you should be, but not really living intimately or honestly about who you are, even with yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I deceived myself and I yes. lied to myself. Yes, exactly. And so 
I think, did you answer this? I don't remember. If I were to be perfectly helpful, what would I help you with? So uh, you, you, in a woman's course, you said to my wife, it'd be good if I had a therapist who could help me see my darker side or understanding like what it is that maybe in me, whether it's my childhood or biologically or what kind of motivates me or causes me to do the things I am. You know, again, I'm broken. You know, I, I, I have certainly beliefs that I'm not and that I'm probably maybe kind of normal. But, um, and then, you know, and then can we, can we work through it? Of course, I see that we have a great marriage and that we have a lot that we've built on that is good, even though I haven't shown up in the marriage for so long mm-hmm. in many ways. Although, I, I mean, I still did in other ways, you know, fully, and, and, and I, we have a great life together, and I want that to be there. But I want to know if, you know, can, can we get through this kind of a violation and still mm-hmm. have a, a healthy marriage? So maybe two pieces, which is, do I know my own mind? Do I know my darker self well enough to be trustworthy, right? Because a lot of us are either afraid of it, so we don't really know it. We try to step away or pretend it's not there. Sometimes when people go through a faith transition, the church becomes the evil entity, and it also can deflect from knowing their own complicity in immaturity within themselves or their own darkness. And, you know, there's often some developmental goodness in doing that a little bit, you know, because you're differentiating from parents or faith tenets of one's faith, but you don't want to keep it from the larger goal of how to say it, knowing the difference between good and evil, even within yourself and being able to choose in a way that has integrity and goodness in it. So that's one piece I hear in what you're saying. And then you're also saying, I think what you're asking, Andy, is do you think we can make it? Is there? Yeah, and, and I think yeah. I'm asking that question for my wife. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like we can, and, and I feel hopeful. So um, kind of along with what you're just saying, for 20 years, you know, I felt like pornography hunted me, like I was a victim to it, and that mm-hmm. Satan was out to get me, and mm-hmm. that it was, uh, I couldn't rest. And if I was beating it, it was a struggle to beat it. Like it was like yeah. a fight, you know, and I was, working hard on a daily basis and let's say I beat it for two or three months and then I'd fall and then, you know, I wouldn't even try for maybe six months. I don't know. But then like it would, right. it would just be cycle. But it was like really lurking bad. in the background to come and get you kind of. And, and yeah. And our transition has happened actually over some time now. It's not all about this. It kind of started before and it even started even maybe even 13 years ago, mm-hmm. but it's been a long road. But now I, and with your, thanks to your, your work and the courses we've taken, I, I look at it more as, I mean, that was a very immature stance. It isn't as powerful as it needs to be. And we're on six months now, and I've never been this honest with my wife, and but also I've had, I've never had this much success. And so it's kind of easy to be honest with her. And mm-hmm. you know, it's not like I want to have a problem so that I can prove that I'm honest to her, but right. you know, I've done so well for six months, I've never done this well. And I look at it as it's not this evil thing that I can't control, it's just a choice. Yeah, this choice it doesn't haunt me anymore. It's easy, and it's partly because I've been able to communicate with her, you know, what my fears are, where I feel like I might struggle, and we've been able to work out kind of solutions that work well that in no way violate, you know, our contract in our marriage, you know. And so I've been really hopeful lately. Yeah, well, exactly. I think when we frame this idea that sexuality is stronger than we are, or we need to conform to this sort of external measure, 
we often throw our strength away without realizing it. We are like participating in the idea that we are relatively powerless and not really the agents in our lives. And so we actually appear much weaker because we're operating in a meaning that makes us weak or keeps us weak. And I think what you're saying, Andy, is that as I've sort of disentangled and started asserting my own choices and claiming my own life and living more honestly, not trying to just get validation, but kind of more deliberately claiming who I am, it's been surprisingly easy to live in line with what I think is decent and good because I'm in the driver's seat. So fear mongering puts people out of the driver's seat and actually makes them more likely to vacillate between indulgence and repression than putting people in the driver's seat of their lives. And so that feels like a big step forward. Yeah. And then with that, having a partner in it, like has also been a huge help. Like to be, to have like honest with her finally about it and then have her and like, and be able to express to her my anxieties around it. Yes. Has also been very helpful. Yeah. Good. So. Why don't we just start with you a little bit, Andy? How do you make sense of the affair? Can you say more about it? What kind of infidelity were you involved in? How long had it been going on? So I met a woman at a grocery store um, and she asked for help reaching something off a high shelf. And it seemed mildly flirtatious in that moment where there was an energy about it that I pursued and shouldn't have through the guise of my employment. You know, I was able to get her phone number and then from there, I quickly crossed the line as making it, you know, as to inappropriately texting and it was reciprocated and it certainly felt good to feel wanted and desired. It felt harmless if nobody knew. I did feel like it was very much like viewing pornography if April never found out that it would hurt her, no harm, no foul kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that I wouldn't let it go too far. I'd be able to control that potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we only met, maybe we did meet in person, you know, we went and got a coffee and then we went you know i went to her employment briefly and then we met three or four other times would eventually led to where i did kiss her mm. maybe three of those visits just like as mm-hmm. a goodbye thing i realized it was crossing that line like i wanted to know if it could be more like i wanted to know it, that i could be desired or wanted that way and i enjoyed it for what it was it was very cheap and you know validation but i did end it I, I'm like, where else could it go? It couldn't go anywhere good for me in my marriage. And I realized that. And so I ended it. Um, and that lasted for like two months. Mm. And that was about a year ago. Mm. But in October, after seven or eight months of not communicating with her, I reached out to her again. Again, out of curiosity, I felt, I wonder if, you know, she'd even respond well with me after I kind of ghosted her for eight months. And she picked up where we left off. And for three or four weeks, it happened until... It was discovered. Mm-hmm. And what went on during those three or four weeks? Just texting and calls. Mm-hmm. We didn't meet up. And so then April heard you having a conversation with her. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. she did. And that's how it came out. And then she was able to text that woman and confirm the stories. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Andy passed out when I caught him. And so I got his phone and was able to say, my wife found out she's going to contact you. Just be honest. And so then I was able to go back and forth with her. And she would even text Andy and be like, are you sure you want me to tell her, you know, if we slept together or not? Like, what? And yes, just tell her. And so I was able, I feel like, to get the full story 
from both of them separately and then match mm. their stories up. And they matched up? Mm-hmm. They did. Uh-huh. And so did you ever have sex with her, Andy? No, we kissed uh-huh. maybe three times. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So tell me then, what did that do to you, Andy? What did it do in the marriage? Give me that picture. At the time or now? Yeah, at the time. Like what happened within you, then what has happened since then? So then it was exciting. It was fun. You know, I felt like it was maybe I entitled to her. I deserved more than I really did. And I mean, there were times where I felt like that she had to have known that maybe I'd do something like this. You know, like it was just me justifying my position and what a victim I might have been in my life. But Mm. now I view it more as highly immature, arrogant, indulgent, egotistical even. And I do think that April might have some questions around like my personality as in general. When I was younger, I flirted with a lot, like was a flirty person, less so now, uh, not even much now, I don't think, but uh, you know, I'll speed in my car, I'll race someone. It's kind of a, maybe a hobby. I enjoy my car and, and having a fast car. And, and so some of her fears might be around like, is it, are these just red flags about kind of person mm-hmm. that I am, that I push limits or break rules. Mm-hmm. And I have a question around that as well, as far as like how much of me trying to uh, like, let's say speeding in my car. Is that me being who I am? And of course, I try to do it safely, you know, in ways mm-hmm. that I think are reasonable and safe, although my wife might disagree <laughs> from time to time. Is that a red flag? Is that me standing up for who I am and trying to be myself instead of conforming to what she wants me to be? Or is that a red flag and something I ought to be more willing to submit to? Should I submit mm-hmm. more to all rules and show that I'm a good rule follower mm-hmm. you know, versus kind of what my personality might normally be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. I'll just give a quick response to that, but obviously I think we need to understand it at a deeper level to really answer your question. But I think that a lot of people try to jump over the law to get to the spirit of the law and therefore don't really understand what the spirit of the law is. So that is to say, sort of in early development, we need a lot of rules in order to forge an internal moral structure. And that sometimes, depending on family culture, personality, how church ideas are interpreted and so on, people can either be overly compliant or overly defiant, but in some ways too entangled with that authority structure. And so one question I have, is Andy like too defiant? Is there a reactivity in it? Is there like an immaturity in it that he's trying to say is being himself? when really it's more in defiance than it is being himself and is probably a part of the porn viewing and the affair. There's a kind of anger in don't tell me what to do, but it's still really the locus of control is external. And so therefore no more mature than compliant. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's a piece for us to think about because I can't remember who said this. It might've been, I don't know. I can't remember. It was some Eastern guy, but (laughs) uh, what he said was, you know, you want to know the rules well so that you can break them wisely. That's what development is. So you want to really know why they exist and what their value is so that if you break from them, it's an act of living in the true spirit of the law or being true to something in you or in the relationship, but it's defensible because it's based in something earnest and it can be easy to be unclear. Is this defiant or is it earnest? Is it about just 
don't tell me what to do? Or is it really about claiming something about who I am? And that can be unclear sometimes if we're not really pushing ourselves. But how people react to us is important, not for keeping them happy with us in the nice guy way, but because if our choices are really true to the best in us, they're not going to harm the people around us. Mm -hmm. So how they respond to us matters. I mean, it's one thing to drive my car. It's one thing if my wife's trapped in the passenger seat, right? It's one thing to do it and have no children. It's another thing to do it and have dependents if it's risky behavior, right? So there's just the context of how you're embedded in your life is a part of the choices, but that's maybe more than you need right now. But yeah, so I think what I'm hearing in what you're saying, Andy, is that you do see there was immaturity in your choice, but what I'm also hearing in it is there was a lot of, there was anger in it. There was kind of this, how could she not think that I'd be doing this? And can you say more about that anger or say more about your view of yourself in the marriage in this way? Yeah. And, you know, if relevant in your childhood. So the anger um, and resentment is more highlighted in my mind, not around the affair, but around maybe some of the pornography use. Mm-hmm. I really don't feel like there was anger in my heart towards April uh, with the affair. I don't feel like I wanted to hurt her. Although mm-hmm. I certainly looking back on it, can't see how that wouldn't hurt mm-hmm. her. Other than I had tricked myself into thinking it wouldn't matter and she'd never know mm-hmm. in that way. Well, couldn't possibly hurt her. Um, but I don't think I intended to cause her pain, but there were times that I could certainly recognize throughout the 20 years prior where I felt resentment towards her. And I felt like, well, you know, what else would I do? She has to know I'm doing this. You know, if she could just give me some attention, then I wouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. And then even in those moments when I would feel that way, I would recognize that this is not the best part of me. Mm -hmm. And I would try to confront it. What's weird, what has been odd with the transition, and this might be the sleepy, my faith, the slippery slope might be that I now shifted it from her to the church because I've also seen how the church has affected her. And I feel Mm. like she's as much of a victim to the church as I am a victim to its teachings and doctrine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't right for me to do that. And I probably overly blame the church still, but I do Mm. recognize that I still was my own agent throughout and I'm still responsible for my choices. And so, yes, I justified them. I rationalized them. I tried to have a position that I could stand on inside myself, although I wasn't happy with it. Mm. But I would present that to myself as a lie to allow me to tolerate me taking what I didn't deserve and me Mm. indulging more than I had deserved. Mm. And I also fully understand how none of this was very desirable. If I wanted to be desired and attracted by my wife, that I certainly wasn't doing any of that. Mm -hmm. And that's part of this piece too. My hope going forward is I'm channeling that energy into myself and into just making choices and living in my moments of frustration and just handling mm. it better and saying, hey, look, you know, I have choices. I can choose these things. Mm. Or is it what I really want to choose in this moment? Or is there a better way or something that would give me more happiness despite how Good it may, or may not affect my wife? Good for you. So I think one of the things you're saying is that you may not be doing this perfectly, obviously, but you're just pushing yourself to stay ultimately responsible. You may yeah. not like what your wife is doing. You may not like the impact of certain church teachings on both of you but you're pushing yourself more to claim your choices. I could go look at pornography. I could go have an affair. I could leave the marriage. I could do a lot of things, but what can I 
actually feel decent about. It sounds like that's something you've yeah. been pushing on more and has been helpful. And I can fully recognize how that would push me to be someone that my wife would actually want to choose and desire yeah. and be attracted to. And so, and but that not being the main motive, like the motive being, I just want to live with myself well. I want to be able to be someone that I can be proud of and that if someone really truly knew me, I could still stand in front of them and feel like I'm a decent person. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So April, just let's pull you in a little bit. There's so many pieces here, but just tell me when you're listening to Andy talk, where does your mind go? What are the questions that you're grappling with? So we really have like done a 180 since I discovered the affair and just like talking through everything and him just being completely honest with me and where he is. So like, it's been wonderful. I'm just mm. terrified because I thought things were wonderful for the last 20 years. Mm. So a part of me, especially because he right now he feels like he's doing well with pornography and it's not as big of a temptation for him. But then like, that's what I believed for 20 years. So sometimes I just wonder mm. if I'm being really stupid and ignorant because that's what I want the truth mm. to be. Um, mm. And I am just scared of him. And like you mentioned, just what he's capable of. I just still like him crossing that line with actual human being and meeting up with somebody. I just like sometimes the fact that he was capable of that is still alarming to me. Mm. I know that I'm not a perfect person, but I just can't ever see myself doing that. So I feel like we're not on the same team because I feel like through our whole marriage, we've done a lot of good teamwork with just raising kids and all kinds of things that happen in life the faith transition, even though we're in different places now, like it really wasn't that bumpy of a road and just accepting mm -hmm. each other and seeing each other. But this, I just really am stuck on. And just because he was able to do that, I'm terrified just that he was capable mm -hmm. of going in that direction. And I'm mm -hmm. nervous about trusting him because I don't want to mother him mm -hmm. now, but his job is so flexible. Like he could be anywhere at any time on any day mm -hmm. and there would be no reason for him to not be all over the place. And so I just, he, he could easily it. hide it if he wanted. Is so what you're easily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So one thing I hear you saying, April, is you're trying to get your own radar operating better mm -hmm. because you're saying part of the crisis for me is that I thought I knew what was up and down and I didn't. So Am I doing that again? And can I trust my own judgment? So I like what he's saying, but I also know that I want to like what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And so can I map reality accurately enough that I know when I'm safe and when I'm not? And I think that's a very important question and really important for you to think about what was interfering with my judgment, right? Meaning what internal desires, what kinds of things was Andy doing? How was I maybe complicit in that self-deception? Because I think until you have that cleaned up, it's going to be harder to settle down, even if Andy is absolutely being honest, because you have to trust your ability to assess that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one piece in it. And then I think another piece in what you're saying is there's just something here still that I don't yet have my head around, which is it's one thing to look at pornography. It's another thing to lie, perhaps. But to actually involve another person, at least for me, April, feels like a different level that I still am trying to forgive or make sense of 
or, you know, what does it mean about my husband that he was capable of it? So I just think there's a question you still need to figure out. You still need to resolve. Let's just go to the radar question for a minute. How do you make sense of thinking everything was great when really Andy was managing a lot of anger and frustration? I kind of a little bit honestly put it on him. And I do this because I feel like we had, you know, like weekly sex. I didn't realize that he thought it was as boring as it was, if we're being really honest right now. And so I like equate it as him telling me that he loves my cooking every single time I make dinner, but he secretly hates it for 20 years. So I just, the lack of Mm -hmm. honesty, it didn't even allow me a chance to look at myself and know how that he wanted it more frequently. I knew Mm. he did, but it wasn't like he would rein it back in every time we would have some tension along that issue. And so I didn't even have an opportunity to self-assess. I just thought everything was great. Mm -hmm. What I'm imagining, maybe Andy, you tell me if this is right, which is I don't want to bring up conflict because maybe I'll get even less than once a week. So if I kind of go along with it's okay, even if internally I resent, let me just back up. Like on the one hand, April, of course, you had made a decision to just relate to sex in an accommodating way, mm-hmm. given your sense that this was a disruptive or evil part of you. So you were really not bringing yourself to your sexuality or to the marriage sexually, right? So on the one hand, of course, it's going to feel flat to Andy. But I think you both were afraid enough of dealing with that and your anxieties around sex. You're saying, April, that Andy would participate with you in making the issue disappear. Mm-hmm. Is that the right idea? Do yes. You, do you both agree with yes. that? Yes. Okay. I had an anxiety about it, and he didn't want to make it any worse. He would take the crumbs happily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And that's just something couples often do when they both are anxious about sexuality and anxious about showing up more honestly, which many couples are. And so they're complicit in keeping the sex boring, even if one feels resentment about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're clear that Andy was good at taking it off the table. What do you think your role was in keeping it off the table? I don't know. I was just really anxious about it. And I thought it was less than, like a less than behavior when it came to just raising our kids and spending family time. I really did not try to develop it in myself. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I think what I hear in that is that you would take refuge in kind of a suppressing position around sex and a superior position. Absolutely. Right. So Andy's less than that he wants it. I will put out once a week. But kind of like if he were a better person, you know, he wouldn't be concerning himself with this so much. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I think you both know it, but let me just kind of say it, that you're kind of, you're both not really bringing your heart to sex, but you're also putting it in a Andy's lesser for wanting it. And he's thinking, if I push back, I'll get even less. So it's pressuring him to stay silent. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was more noble to do just about anything than that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And did you, April, blame Andy for having sex before marriage? Like in your mind, was it his fault? No, 
No. If we weren't members of the church, I feel like our relationship, it just flowed really naturally. And he was just the first guy I ever dated that it just, I felt so comfortable with him, even sexually. Yeah. And he was just kind. I know so many people that weren't married, that had no sex, got married in the temple, and then it was a nightmare. And I just, I'm actually really grateful that I knew how kind he was and generous, you know, in that way. And so it was really just, I feel like a beautiful relationship the church discipline like really tainted everything. And even our wedding was somewhat, you know, just like dampened and not quite Mm -hmm. as celebrated as everything else. And I think from there, it just kind of like spiraled, like something is wrong with me. I used to Mm -hmm. be this perfect girl, beehives president, Laurel president, just this all-star chased Mormon girl. And we owned it together actually. Yeah. That's why I just, we had, we're such a good team because even in that he actually offered to publicly tell everybody that he actually had issues and that's why we weren't getting married in the temple. And I just appreciated where he was coming from. But we even said, no, this is us together. We're owning this together. And that's how we stepped into marriage. So I always have felt like we were such great teammates until this. And I just feel like maybe we're not great teammates anymore. I'm literally scared of you as a partner with me right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of lovely, actually, what you're saying about how you handled that, that Andy was saying, I'll take it, you know, I'll take the hit. In some ways, there's more room culturally for men to be the evil sexual ones than for women, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's saying, I'll do it if you want. And I think it's a testament of what you're capable of when you said, no, we chose it and we can go through this together. I mean, what's your sense then April of what's changed once you got married? Like, how do you make sense of stepping into, in some ways, not a marriage to Andy anymore, but now more to your fear or to the church? Or what do you make of that? I just felt so much shame with what happened and some even loss of friendships over Mm -hmm. it. Like looking back, I think that I associated the shame I felt with the decisions we made and not getting married in the temple I also didn't know a soul who had gotten married outside the temple and stayed happily married. So I thought we were Mm -hmm. doomed from the beginning in a way, Mm -hmm. but I just associated that shame as potentially a a loss of the spirit because it literally changed something in me during Mm -hmm. that process of my relationship with the church. And so I just took it on myself. Well, there's something must be really wrong with me. So I'll go try to get back and be super righteous again and super letter of the law and try to get the spirit more fully back in my life. And I'll just go back to being that perfect Mormon Mm. girl. So it started, I feel like when we were first newlyweds and that first year, it just slowly started to dwindle. But then once we had kids and just some little bit of health issues with childbirth and stuff, then it really started to tank, Mm. I think. And I just really wanted to put all my energy into being a good mom. Yeah. So what I hear in that is because there was so much cost to the fact of kind of being sexual, there was so much cost to your belonging in the group and developmentally, you weren't yet prepared for that loss that you then stepped more deeply into compliance. Mm -hmm like as a way to reclaim it, reclaim the good girl, the sense of that you're legitimate. And so it meant really, in some ways, that the marriage became with the community, not with each other. 
And this does happen for people sometimes with childbirth because all of their notions of motherhood are asexual. So to be a good mother is to suppress your sexuality, your eroticism, and create the very chaste kind of sexless environment that will allow them to thrive. And so, I mean, I don't know, I'm hypothesizing that that may have also been another piece that kind of layered in once you had a child. Mm -hmm. Does that feel true, April, or or what are your thoughts? No, I think you're dead on, Mm -hmm. dead on with that. And Mm -hmm. I also really have thrown myself into motherhood. I feel Mm -hmm. like my mom was there and did a lot of good things, but emotionally very distant. And all my siblings feel that way. And so I've really wanted to throw myself into it so that my Mm -hmm. kids would always know. I'd rather err on doing too much for them than too little because I feel like I got too little as a kid. Mm -hmm. So my kids really, I'm not, I feel bad for Andy, but I really have wanted to just be a stellar mom. And then once they're gone, we can go have fun. And Mm -hmm. Andy's just like, just be patient and let me raise our kids temporarily and then we'll be together forever. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. But I think what you're also saying is like, it mattered so much to me to be the right kind of mother Mm -hmm. or to not be the distant one that my mom was. And Andy was ambivalent enough about himself and his desires to go along. Mm -hmm. But I kind of created the marriage then with the children and Andy was second. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously kids, their survival is primary when you have children, (laughs) but that's a little different than really kind of putting a circle around you and the kids, which a lot of women do. And then the man is on the outside of that rather than a partnership parenting children. And I feel like society adds to that too, because if your kid does anything wrong, they call the mom first. If your kid is misbehaving, they look at the mom, like the dads kind of get a free pass. And I really, we have some challenging kids and that has been, I just have tried so hard to help them with all their challenges that they have. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So what do you think shifted in how you relate to Andy since learning about the affair? I have so much compassion for everything that he was dealing with. I have so much sympathy for that struggle and the shame that he felt and the self-loathing for so long. I feel terrible. And that's why if it was just pornography and sexting and the lying, it would be water under the bridge for me. So Mm. I mean, the affair just has really thrown a wrench in everything. But I do, I have so much compassion for him. And all that makes sense to me why he would hide those things and lie to me. When I would catch pornography earlier it would upset me so bad mm. and say, I would say more about really that emotional. yeah what would I'm you do so emotional just yelling crying just how could you do this you know and mm-hmm. really shame that he would even want to look at pornography I would really overreact in those moments it was so startling for me mm-hmm. and I just thought you know the people that do that that's what ruins families I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just evil, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. in a box, you know, so Mm -hmm. it was very upsetting to me now that we've talked and stuff. And he actually went after the disclosure, I said, I don't even know who you are, please show me. So he Mm -hmm. started being so honest with me. I said, show me the porn. What porn do you like? What do you like about it? What drives you? And he kind of showed that for me. And so as this middle-aged woman, I'm 
finally searching out porn intentionally. I had never done that before. And so now I just see it for what it is. It's Cheetos and it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's candy. I get mm-hmm. the draw to it. Um, so I don't think it's quite as evil as it was, even though I, I don't think it's good, but I do think it's just cheap. It's just yeah. a cheap fill. So it's not as threatening to me anymore. Yeah. Um, well, maybe, and maybe importantly is not that you needed to like the porn, but I think what you're saying is the way I was handling it was designed to get control. That That's what I see in it, right? So if I'm hysterical and upset the idea is maybe he won't do it then. If mm-hmm. I'm upset enough, if I'm angry enough, it's a little bit like appealing to, I thought you were a good guy. You and this nasty sexuality is hurting me. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of pressuring hiding on his side. He's supposed to be the good guy by just getting a handle on it, but not making you privy to who he is, mm-hmm. right? It's not that you were scheming that, but like that's what it sounds like you're doing in that moment is not like, help me understand, like, why are you looking at this and what's going on between us that this is compelling for you? You weren't looking to understand him or you. You were looking to get the behavior, the invalidating behavior to stop, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't work, right? I mean, just drives it underground. But And it's designed to punish. And I think punish in the frame of you're the wrong kind of man. Does that sound true, April? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I'll have to process that a little bit. And a part of me too feels like, and I even sometimes have this resentment even now with little things, but like you're going around goofing off and maybe not taking life as seriously as I do. Because I do feel like, he lets himself have more fun than I do. I'm just like a constantly working, no fun, you know, or less fun than Mm -hmm. he is. And so it's just like, why isn't your focus always on the prize as much as I am focusing always on like tasks Mm -hmm. and I don't know. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, that makes sense. So I think that it's this other piece in the dynamic where you kind of go up And I'm not saying you need to like, just, I don't want anyone to misunderstand that. I'm not saying Andy's fine and April's just making a big deal out of nothing. I'm saying more the way that you handle the issue in the marriage is important to it to look at where I think there's a kind of over-functioning, under-functioning dynamic. So I'm being responsible. I've suppressed sexuality to be the good parent. Why are you goofing off? Why are you doing these things? And so it's got a superiority and a control in it. And, you know, of course it doesn't work. It feels like it should work, but it often then drives more hiding and more like, okay, well, I'll comply with the control, but then I'll secretly defy it. And so it's one way that couples break collaboration. And so you're pushing for control more than knowing Andy is what you would do. And so that's partly why you were in the dark about Andy, because you'd see his compliance, but he would hide his defiance. Mm -hmm. You'd feel like, well, I got it together. I don't know what his problem is. And not seeing that he's got this whole other resentment and whole world that he's keeping from you. And he's participating in it as much as you are, right? I mean, he could have at any point said, we got to talk. Like, I'm really unhappy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But Andy was handling it by deception and kind of carving out his own space to be free 
because he didn't feel the freedom in the marriage, but was doing it in a more cowardly way. I don't mean to be too insulting here, but just to go and hide it and kind of indulge it on the side while keeping you thinking he was the person you wanted to think he was. Mm -hmm. So just tell me where that's landing for either one of you. So can we circle back around? Because I feel like the compliance issue, like I feel like I'm more overly compliant. He's less compliant. But is that ever a red flag as far as like if we just take his speeding, for example? I like just feel like sometimes he does it an excessive amount. And Mm -hmm. I will say things like it's I know that you think you're safe and you're not impacting anyone around you. But I feel like you are putting other people in danger when you go at such high speeds on the surface streets and he's just like, no, this is who I am. I'm just having fun. I'm safe. And he hasn't had an accident, but it really is quite excessive. And it's not just me. Family members might point it out and mm-hmm. and things. So when is it like, when is it okay to not be compliant? And when am I being a wet blanket? And should I not be voicing concerns about like, is he being self-indulgent? And is that kind of at his core or are they mm-hmm. separate issues? I don't know. Yeah. I'll ask a question here in a minute, but let me just make a couple of statements first. I mean, my concern is more around how the two of you handle the differences than what the differences are. And that what I mean to say is when you go into telling Andy who to be, I would say that's as dysregulated as Andy complying, but then going and doing what he wants and feeling actually more fuel for it because he's resisting your control. Those are both immature dispositions for handling difference. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean, April, you can't say, it distresses me because I think you're more indulgent around this than you're owning. You can own your position. It's the superiority and the scolding that is off balance. And Andy, I think, to be honest, has to deal with the part of him that wants to comply to be a good guy or to be likable or to say he's going along, but in reality resents that he can't get the validation he wants for who he is and therefore feels more justified in hiding and taking, right? So that's Andy's immature position. So Andy, yeah, say more about Andy. You're shaking your head. Yes. So tell me. So you mentioned it was a cowardly position and I totally agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, and again, I know the affair was bad. But what I regret more was lying the whole time. I feel like, yes. I mean, she was my best friend and I couldn't tell her who I am or what I'm going through, you know, and I struggled with that. So I certainly was a coward, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt like I had zero grand though to stand up for my more carnal aspects, you know, the parts of me that I thought were evil anyways, mm-hmm. because of the high moral ground. I mean, mm-hmm. she has it and has had it for a whole marriage. And I agree that she has it, mm-hmm. you know, like. I fully believe that she she was right and I was wrong to feel the way I feel and there was nothing I can do about it. Mm. it was, and if it were to be debated or brought up, then I'd lose because the church would back up her side and mm. they're the authority mm. on it. And so the hope that I have is that I don't think the church knows all the answers and I don't think that they have the round hole that I'm supposed to fit in and that it's the right hole that I'm supposed to be. Mm. And so now it can be scary, but I feel like we get to decide together what hole we're going to fit in and what shape we're going to be. And that's where I have to step up and not be a coward. And there's moments even now, you know, six months after it all blew up where she'll 
be hurt and sad. And I want to mm. you know, hold under and just mm. accommodate. And she's right. I'm like, you're right. I am an evil person. I am a bad thing. I don't know, you know. Um, Meaning when she's hurt that you can sort of move into the, she's right, I our, suck. Like yeah. our old ways of. Yeah, I don't tell him you're evil. No, yeah. she doesn't. I'm just crying. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I'm just upset. And that's what's in my head is that I believe that myself. But but now I don't believe that. I believe that there's no such thing as evil. Well, there is. There's certainly there is. evil in the world. Mm -hmm. But we are just doing the best we can and we're both immature and we're both struggling through life. Mm -hmm. And that I can look at, well, how am I struggling with it? And I might go to her in out of care and love, but it's for her well-being, not for mine, right? It's not for me to feel better about what I did to her. Mm -hmm. I just want her to be better. And if that and understanding that we have choices, that she can leave and that I can leave. I think yes. that's kind of a beautiful idea. It's weird, but yeah, no, right. Scary, but you but really have freedom to choose. But it's like, look, I want you to really, I want you to know who I am and actually pick me. And I that's want to right. know who you are. And, and I want to be able to show you that I choose you. And I certainly am not showing you that when I go and do these other things. And so yeah. I have to mature and grow in my space. To, yes. To hopefully one day show her that she can trust me because she's right. There's nothing I can do. And it's not even my job to worry about that she can trust me. I just need to be trustworthy. And I do have a job that can put me anywhere. Like, like I could, if I wanted to lie about things, I could lie, mm -hmm. but I owe myself more than that. I owe her more than that yep. to really be who, I mean, I want to finally live my life. I want to be who I am That's right. for once. And if you're ever going to be chosen, it only works if she's choosing honestly, meaning if she knows who she's choosing. Yeah. Right. Because those of us who hide who we are and get someone to choose us, you never actually feel chosen. And so my faith transition has finally given me the space, I believe, to look at it and say, look, I thought I was doing the, well, I wasn't doing the right thing. I thought I was justifying me doing the right thing in that I was trying to suppress the my bad sexuality. Part of you. Mm -hmm. And I feared my own sexuality. Right. And, and a part of me still does. Like it's hard to wave off a 40 year sure. <laughs> experience, but uh, I still fear it. And I'm afraid that it'll get me someday or hurt me someday, but I don't, I feel hopeful because I don't feel like it's hunting me. I feel like it's just a choice that I have and I get to own my life and I get to yeah. live it how I want and what well, I want to do with, with April. Yeah. I mean, I think both of you in your attempts to fit into the structure, to get the validation of the people that matter to you, you lost a kind of inner compass that you needed. And because it just became more important than something more honest, the cost of that exposed itself most potently five months ago. And the beauty in that, as I hesitate to say that's a beautiful moment, but the potential in it is that it's blowing up the old model and it's saying nothing makes sense anymore. And who are we really? Like it really pushes towards deeper honesty and more truth because you don't have anything else other than what's actually real. And so starting to build your house on rock is to build it on what's real, what's honest, what's true. And I think, Andy, you're being, well, I think you're both being clear that something feels better and clearer and truer, even though there's still a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, I would say, Andy, I think evil is absolutely real. Like I know that you do too from what you just said, but yeah. it's not in the form of compliance and defiance. It's in the form of impact on other human beings. Right? As we grow in our spiritual development and our relational development, paradoxically, we become more able to be true to ourselves and other people when we're really growing. 
So then the question is, if April's upset, the old Andy move would be say whatever needs to be said, do whatever needs to be done to get her to be okay, because I'm supposed to be taking care of her and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty much evil anyway. So just put out the fire. But then all of this that's true and unintegrated about me, you know, I'll just go secretly find a place for it. Right. So it's very, it looks good, but it isn't good. Stronger Andy, Andy (laughs) 2.0. The question is more than why is it upsetting her? What is it that she's upset about? Is it about her struggle to deal with what's true and real? Is it about her own sense of loss? Or is it something I'm actually doing that I can't see except that she's in pain? And so is there something here for me to understand about myself? Not because my sexuality is inherently evil, but am I doing something that's hurtful? Or is it just allowing my wife to sort out her way as my equal, as my partner in life? So there's a real question in, am I blind to myself? Because I never say like, oh, sexuality is good. It's neither. It's who we are with it. What do we create through it? What's our impact on ourselves and others? And so how do I use my sexuality in a way that makes my life better, that makes my life richer, that I know that I'm a loving human being? That's the path into more clarity and more capacity for intimacy. So just tell me what you hear in that. And I know we're at time, so we can stop, but we can have another meeting. But just tell me kind of what you're taking so far from our conversation, each of you. You know, I think it's all good. Like I'm finally, or we are finally kind of approaching each other for the first time in a long time, at least I am. She's always honest with me, but with who I am and showing up in the marriage in a way that is more honest and true, which she is entitled to and deserves. Mm -hmm. And I want that to be who I am. I still Mm -hmm. have fear around my sexuality and around my choices, but I can't promise the future, but I want to promise my future to her, my commitment. And if nothing else that I will be honest Mm-hmm. In the future, as I'm unhappy or if I'm unhappy, mm-hmm. we're also reading Snarks right now and we're trying to understand differentiation. And we realize that we've really kind of met we're the same person. We've, mm. Yes. And it, maybe it's because I've done too much accommodating, but we've folded into each other where we oftentimes don't have opinions on things like, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where you like, mm-hmm. We just kind of, and so we're trying to differentiate and get our own hobbies even and try to like, self-improve and invest in ourselves in ways that are healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And be less validation dependent because you've handled validation, April, I think through pressure at times, this is just over-stereotyping both of you, but I think April, you going up and being more pressuring and Andy, you going down and accommodating, but they're equally needy positions and they're entangled and they reinforce each other because the more you go into one down and indulgent, you know, the more that April's pressured into up and to the superego, the scolding position, and both are not really integrated positions. So it's, yeah, I think one thing I would say about your fear of your sexuality, Andy, is just, I think a false idea that we really get culturally is this idea that our sexuality is stronger than we are. And sexuality is powerful stuff. There's no getting around it. That's why it can have the capacity to be really destructive or mind-blowingly positive, right, is because it's a very powerful currency. But you can say to yourself, I am the chooser. 
right? I will be the chooser. I will live honestly and I will choose honestly. And I can promise April that, you know, that's not to say that April should go to sleep or anything, but you can be clear in a commitment to really bringing your best to your choices around sexuality and to being straight with her about it so that she really has choices for herself. So April, tell me, what are your thoughts from this meeting and where are you? So I feel like I've done good at not being the scolding partner when it comes to church stuff because we've re, like reconfigured that in our relationship. But I still need to assess when I do that in other forms. And mm. I hate to keep going back to just the speeding, but again, I feel like with mm-hmm. the church, the church, I felt like the church had my back. And with mm-hmm. him just speeding, and I feel like it's not considerate of those around him and their safety. And so, again, I just prop myself up because the police would have my side, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like other people on the road would also take my side. Mm-hmm. So I really need to self-confront that and get better about how I feel about that and how I approach it. Good. And we can take up some of this in the next meeting. But I think it's not that you can't take a position, but yes, it's trying to not go and grab, I've got backup and you should comply. That's an intuitive muscle, but then it's pressuring your husband in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I'm doing that with that and I'm doing it with him meeting up with the woman. Like, how inconsiderate are you? <laughs> so I just really need to rework that right. in my head. And a more intimate position is, I'll be honest with you, Andy, I don't respect you speeding. Okay, now, I'm not trying to scold you. I'm just saying my mind goes here. I see it as irresponsible. Can you talk to me about that? Am I missing something here? Right. So it's not so scolding as it is. Can we have honest minds? And can I see where I may be off? Right. It's a cleaner kind of conflict. And it is very valuable because when people are honest in their conflict, it can drive their own view forward to accommodate more reality. Or can I, you really tell me, how did you justify being with another person? What were you thinking when you'd come home at night? I'm just trying to get in your shoes and just try to literally get in his shoes and think about the world. I'm not saying to make it be like, okay, no problem. I don't mean that. But more, who is Andy? How does he think? How did he think? How did he justify it? I'm really clear I'd never do it. How did he? It can be a little bit scary, but it allows you both to not hide from what's true and what might lurk there and keep you from a more solid foundation. And I need to mm-hmm. look at those parts of my life that I think are part of who I am. And part of the, some of the times I think they're things of why she loves me and why she cared for me to begin with. And yes. sometimes I feel like she turns to me like, Andy, do your thing and get us out of the situation. And I know what that means. And mm-hmm. it's be Andy and do what I do to get, you know, to, Short a situ- circumstance or situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And right. so sometimes April's like a mob doing, wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I need to do is assess, okay, well, why do I feel like this is who I am? Is this something that I can stand behind as a noble position of who I want to be and who I am? Yeah. Or is it something that I'm doing because I want to justify or validate myself or feel, you right. know, some sort of uh, experience? But people do feel exhilaration when they race a car. Like there's some sure. things in there that I think are normal. And again, I, want to be safe about it. I love my life. And, and just to be clear, this isn't like five to 10 miles over the speed limit. This is like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. extremely dangerous. Yeah. And it's not all the time. It's occasionally, but yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, just because we're at time, we'll stop. Would you like to meet again? I mean, I think. Yes. I would. Yeah. Well, yeah. That'd be okay. great. And by the way, we want to thank you. Your coursework is awesome. It's, we've had big breakthroughs just going through your coursework. I'm so glad. Yeah. Very helpful. I'm so glad. That's awesome. So thank you, Andy and April, and we'll talk to you again in a few weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. So in some respects, my response to Andy and April is that they are already moving in to a more productive understanding of themselves and their marriage than most people are that would be coming in for help at this point. That may be because of taking the courses. It is clear that they are at least using the crisis to step away from a way of relating to managing their senses of self in a way that's been destructive, or maybe a better way of saying it, a way that's limited them. That's really the truth of it. It has helped them to establish a sense of self up to a point, but has interfered with living more honestly, creating an intimacy in their marriage and growing into people more capable of sexual and emotional intimacy. So they're using the crisis very well, it appears to me. And that's excellent for them. I think, you know, what they're trying to get sorted out is, can they make it? And for Andy's side of it, am I missing things about myself that still need to be understood? And on April's side, am I blind? Am I just using my hope? These are all very good questions and ones that I think we'll continue to take up in the next conversation. I found this interview a little bit more challenging to find kind of the place of friction. I'm not sure exactly how to say it better than that, but, and this may be because I'm tired and it's the end of the day, so I'm not sort of firing on all cylinders. I don't know if it's because they're more worked out around it than some couples might be, and they're actually making good progress. It's clear that the questions they came in with are still open questions. That is, you know, I'm been complicit in not knowing my husband. Is that still operating? Am I as able to see what's true as I'd like to think? And then I think on his side, am I as trustworthy as I want to believe? Or am I managing more capacity to justify myself and indulge than I'm really recognizing? And I think they've both made meaningful progress actually on both of those questions, but there's still some residual uncertainty there because she can still go into a one-up position and pressure compliance. And he's also very capable still of justifying, I think, indulgence and don't tell me what to do, kind of that energy. And I think that's, it's further along, it's more mature, but they're still, I think, trying to figure out how to relate to these inclinations in an honest way and in a way that they are both more collaborative people. I think they're also in a process of sorting out what their faith is, or that is to say, how they understand good and evil, what is a meaningful moral anchor for them at this point. How do they sort that out in the face of differences? And 
the question of how do they become trustworthy or more loving people, given that they're rejecting the, or at least rejecting the authority of that initial moral framework. And so they're also in this process of sorting out who they are. And there's not a better way to do that than to confront where you try to hide from the responsibility of what is true and who you're going to be in the face of what is true. It's easy to go either up or down or pressure the other into silence or compliance or to just manage how you're seen. Those are very tempting ways to get away from that core moral responsibility of who one is because it's in our relationships that we can understand our morality most intimately and how we impact others. So them staying, for them to stay in an honest conversation and really look at the places they tend to hide, April in a one-up, Andy in a accommodating one down, it's its own form of one-up actually, but still just an accommodating one down. That's where they can try to get away from their own growth. So we'll take it up with them again. I just want to understand it a little bit more and kind of let my mind think through it a little bit because I didn't feel like I was fully clear within myself in the interview. So, so we'll see where it goes next time. Okay. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody.